chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, can you imagine how God the Holy Spirit allowed him to use those phrases? Here's a man that's in his late 70s or early 80s and um, has walked with the Lord and done his ministry all his life. And the way he looks out at the other believers that he's trying to be a blessing to. And God the Holy Spirit allowed him to use the phrase, my little children. Uh, there's a tenderness to our God that if we'll look for it, he's very tender. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In chapter 1, uh, we saw that salvation does not eradicate our sinful nature. We get saved and the new man is renewed or the inner man is renewed and we become a new creature in Christ. Our want to changes, our desire to please our Heavenly Father is there. But this old body is still attracted to the sinful things and, are, and we succumb to it. And Paul said in Romans chapter uh, 7 and verse 19, for God, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And here's the great apostle Paul that God allowed to write 13 books of the Bible, was a missionary, started churches everywhere, and he's confessing that uh, the good that I would do, I don't do it. And the things that I wouldn't do, that's what I find myself doing. And... um you know, the thing is, we're not proud of the, the fact that we sin, but we, uh, you know, still need to be honest with ourselves that, you know, we do yield to it. In fact, uh, John warned us twice in the last three verses of the first chapter not to deny that we sin. In other words, don't lie, don't deceive yourself, he says in, in the writings, that somehow I've got this thing all pulled together. There is a, a denomination the Nazarene church, it basically teaches you can get to sinless perfection. That you can live in such a way that you just don't sin. In fact, my brother works at a Nazarene college, and there's some of the professors up there that said they haven't sinned in 20 years. You know, uh, my real fear would be you're not saved, and you don't have the Holy Spirit knocking at your heart door. Uh, but somehow you've deceived yourself. You know, and when you get to thinking about something... There's a lot of people you may try to pull the wool over their eyes, but the one person you don't want to deceive is yourself. You're setting yourself up for that way. But um, in 1 John the chapter 1 and verse 9, it tells us that uh, if we will confess our sins, that he, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we know that when we do sin, we know we need to go to God and seek and confess it, and he'll cleanse us. But the thing that we're going to look at tonight is based on what is the grounds that God allows God to do that. Why doesn't our sin sever our relationship with our Heavenly Father? You know, um, and so John's trying to answer that question for us in these verses that we're going to look at. And he tells us in the beginning what his purpose in writing is. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. He's got a motivation in writing these verses to us. He's told us that don't deny that you do sin, 
And if you do sin, we've got a way to get our sins confessed and get cleansed and have the, continue to have the fellowship. The relationship with our Heavenly Father is sure. When we accept Jesus Christ, he adopts us into his family, makes us a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We're one of God's kids, and he'll start dealing with us then as children. And, of course, you want the best for your kids, so you try to raise them right. You try to give them good instruction. You try to correct them if that's what it takes. But mostly you try to encourage them to do the right thing. And that's what the Word of God does, and that's what teachers and preachers are supposed to try to do, is to encourage you to do right. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. In other words, if there's areas of our life that we need to straighten up or things we need to add to our lives, uh, it's the goodness of God. In other words, we look, we see the benefit of doing it God's way, knowing that He's got our best interests at heart. But when we do sin, and we've got a way to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, and what that allows is for the fellowship to continue. As we talked about last week, that you know, even with our earthly fathers, when we were up to something, we really didn't want to spend a lot of time in His presence because He might figure it out. And it wasn't going to go well for us if he figured it out. And it seemed like they had antennas that just let them figure it out. And so maybe because they used to walk in our shoes, you know, and all we got to do is remember back to the things we did, and we'll know our kids are up to the same thing. They can't help it. They're our kids. Um, but the thing that, so he tells us that, you know, that we're to sin not. That's his purpose in writing. You know, and the thing we need to realize, he's not trying to excuse sin by what he said in the first chapter. He's not trying to make light of our sins. Um, he's writing so as to prevent us from sinning. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Be perfect. That's that's the goal that God has set for us. Holiness should be our goal. And and you sit there and you got you look at it and you want to say, well, why should holiness be my goal? Well, I think one of them is is we reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross, and where we were going, and what He made possible through salvation, a home in heaven, and. You know, if you can remember back to when you when you accepted the Lord and the joy that flooded into your heart, the realization that you were in a relationship with God Almighty, that you the love you had for His people, the love you had for His house, the love you had for His Word, just that neatness of I'm I've been forgiven. And even though you may not have necessarily known it until you got right up to the point of being really convicted about your sin, but the guilt, the, and all of it's lifted. And so out of uh, showing loving obedience to the Father is one of the reasons we should seek to be holy, <clears throat> that it should be one of our goals. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So it's not hard to understand what we've already know how much Jesus loved us. So if we want to show love back, we've got our marching orders, obey his commandments. And the thing is, his commandments aren't designed to be grievous to us, are they? You know, I had a preacher one time use the illustration. He'd let his older children play in the front yard, but he made his littlest children stay in the backyard. 
And sometimes the kids in the front yard would be laughing and hollering and having a hoot of a good time. And he could see the little ones hanging onto the fence and just staring through. And the fence was like a barrier, you know, it's preventing me. Well, why did mom and dad want the little ones to play in the backyard? Protection, keep them safe. They weren't wise enough to watch out for traffic and things like that. And so you you did. Well, God's rules are the same way for us. And the thing is, whenever a child, when we were littler, if we remember, if you stay within the rules, there's all sorts of freedom. Because the things outside the boundaries aren't your responsibility. They're mom and dad's responsibility. And if God's got rules for us to live by, and if we'll just realize that if we live within those rules, the things that are on the exterior that I'm not dabbling with, God's responsible to keep them out of my life. It's, he's told me, you stay within these rules. These are things, this is the way you treat your neighbor. This is the way you treat your spouse. This is the way you treat your children. This is the proper respect you give to your pastor. There's just all sorts of rules, but within those rules is freedom. If we'll just realize, and it's there for our protection, because going outside of those things will get us messed up. And so, out of loving obedience, we should seek holiness as our goal, uh, but also something for us to realize is even though you can go to your Heavenly Father and confess your sins, and He's faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and the fellowship with the Father is totally perfect, it doesn't eliminate reaping what you sowed. There's no scripture in there that says just because you confessed your sins, and you got cleaned up with God, and all your, it's, as far as God is concerned, has been thrown into the sea of God's forgetfulness. But the thing is, it doesn't, doesn't undo that you're going to reap what you sowed. If I threw the biggest hissy fit on the phone, lost my temper, and told my customers what I really thought of them, and hung up, and then asked God to forgive me a few minutes later, and stuff like that, maybe even called back and tried to, may have lost an account. You say it to your spouse, you may, you know, something may be in your dinner that night. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you, you're going to reap what you sow. You, you can't go off and do things that are wrong and then come back and say, okay, I'm going to confess them and they're all right. Well, God will, if you're sincere and you're truly repentant and you ask God to forgive you, he washes your sins away. He throws them into the sea of God's forgetfulness. He throws them as far away as the east from the west. He remembers them no more. But you may still have to, in fact, you will have to reap what you sowed. It's a, it's a, it's a law of God. And so for your own self-preservation, you ought to seek holiness. It's the best policy for us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, I don't know, you know, in my own life, I know I've probably fallen into this trap, and I think probably almost everyone in this room, if they would be honest with themselves, they have said, I'm just going to play around the edges with this. And I know I know all sorts of people get in trouble, and they get deeper into it, but I'll be the one that can stop when I want to stop. And it don't work out that way, does it? It don't work out that way. You, we Sin is a trap. Don't ever try to tell a young person that sin isn't fun because you're lying. 
Nobody has ever twisted my arm up behind my back to make me sin. There's an appeal to it. Would you agree with me? There's an appeal. thing is, it costs more than you want to pay. It'll take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you a lot more than you want to pay. So the thing is, so there's an appeal, but you go playing around with it, and I think some people in the back of their mind, they've got a little bit of a thought, well, God will probably kill me if I do this. And then you get tempted and you do some of it. He didn't kill me. And then the flesh wants a little more and a little more. And pretty soon we're off down a rabbit hole and it's not good for us. So Paul says just abstain the very appearance of it. If it, if it looks like it's something a Christian ought not do, just don't go there. You know, just stay away from it. But when we do sin, I got a question. How does God know? How does God know when you sin? He's God Almighty, right? You're right. But guess what? We also have an accuser. We have Satan. Go go with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we'll look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven... Now has come salvation and strength and, uh, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. I don't know exactly why in God's sovereignty he allows it, but Satan is allowed to come into the very presence of God Almighty and he does. It's recorded in Job chapter um, 1 and verse 6, and then again in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. But Satan is allowed to come into the presence of God. That's the reason there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Not just a new earth, but there's going to be a new heaven. Because Satan has polluted it with his presence. But the, the realization is that he goes up there to accuse us. And that's and he does it day and night. Now the thing to ask yourself is, um, you know, can we lose our salvation? No, we can't, can we? Um, did God know already that we sinned? Yeah, He's God. So why does Satan enjoy doing it? Yeah, and why do you think he wants to do that? So I think that's it. I think that's, I think part of it is the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. And Satan wants to hurt the heart of God by pointing out that the very children that you love so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for, look how little they care. And I think that's another good reason that we ought to hate our sins. We need to realize that Satan is up here gloating before the Father about those those people that you love so much and you sent Jesus to die for. They don't care about you. You tell them, though, if you love me, obey my commandments. Look what they're doing. And so I think what we need to stop and realize 
is we have an opportunity because we're going to be tempted, right? I mean, it's just a fact. We're going to be tempted. But guess what? Because of the blood of Christ and God the Holy Spirit and our discernment of God's word, we have the ability to say no. Where before we didn't. But we have to make a conscious decision. And the thing is, the things that we sin into are pleasurable for a season. So there is a strong temptation. And you're going to have to counter that with something in your mind, and that's and the best thing I can think of is, first of all, your love of your Savior and the love of your Heavenly Father that loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you. And for Christ's sake, you don't give in. You, you don't give in to that sin. And the second thing is just your own self-preservation. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt your heart. It's going to hurt the hearts of those that love you. And you're going to feel guilty about it. If you're saved, God the Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to make sure you, you know, you understand it. And it's, it's, it just isn't worth it. But the thing is, we're going to sometimes sin, but we need to make it as few times as possible. And, and the thing is, there's also things that we need to realize that, there's a whole lot difference, of, and I've used this a lot of times in my Sunday school class. There is a big difference between tripping and falling into sin than there is just laying down in it and making it part of your lifestyle. You know, like we've said, I've said in Sunday school class many times, the first thing you do when you trip and you fall, like out in public, what's the first thing you do? You jump up, and then the second thing is you look to see if anyone saw you, Right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, because you're embarrassed. Well, we trip and we fall into sin sometimes. Somebody will say something, we're in a bad mood, we don't handle it right, we mash a finger, we remember language we thought we'd forgotten. Different things happen and we trip into sin. But we don't have to lay down in sin. And, and so we need to realize that there's a good reason not to sin, and it's really in our own best interest, but also out of love for our Heavenly Father, because the accuser is up there trying to hurt the very heart of the God that loved us so much that he sent Jesus. But thank God, John tells us that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Greek word translated advocate is parsit. I always I have a hard time with the word, but parsit, I think, is the proper way. And the same word is translated comforter. It's the same word that Christ used in reference to the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at it, um, and the, the, word, the definition of the word comforter is one who comes up alongside to help. And so what we've got to realize is, is we've actually got two advocates. We've got God the Holy Spirit in our heart advocating with us and talking to us and comforting us and challenging us not to succumb to sin and drawing us in the right directions. And then we have an advocate with the Father in heaven who's sitting at the right hand of God, and when Satan comes up and accuses us, he represents us. It says that uh, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 that Jesus is in the presence of God for us. That's his ministry right now. His ministry is our great high priest. 
but he's also sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And the um, when we look at it, at Calvary, he redeemed us, and in heaven, he represents us. The devil accuses us, but Jesus answers for us. Now, have you ever thought about how Jesus goes about answering for you? Let me ask you this. Can he say anything good about you? What's, what's the Bible say our righteousness is like? Filthy rags. On our best day, doing our best effort, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So he can't say anything good about us, but he can say a lot for us. Because the thing is, Jesus, uh, the wounds that are in the body, in his body bear record that the sin debt has been paid. When he stands there before the Father, at the right hand of the Father, the evidence is apparent in his body that the sin debt has been paid. And so he can say much for us. He can't say anything good about us, but he can say much for us. Because when Satan accuses us, Jesus can say, yes, sir, but that's all under the blood. That's all been took care of. Because the thing is, when Jesus Christ died on the cross... How many of your sins were in the future? All of them. Until the day you die. And they were all on the cross. And they were all paid for at one time. And when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, in the judicial eyes of God, you were found not guilty. Because the debt had already been paid. Your substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, had already paid the debt in full. And he carries the marks in his body... To prove it. Jesus can answer for our sins because he's atoned for them. John says in verse 2 that he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to make atonement for. Uh, the same word that is used for, the same word here is also used, would be used in, in, to describe the mercy seat. And that was a slab of gold that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the high priest once a year in the Old Testament would take the blood sacrifice in and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. All the Old Testament saints, when they died, where did they go? They didn't go to heaven. Yeah, they went to paradise. Because their blood was, their sins were covered, but they weren't yet paid for. And so that's the reason Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He went down into paradise and then took all those saints of the Old Testament era up to heaven with them. Once he'd paid the debt, once he'd gone into the Holy of Holies in heaven with his blood sacrifice, and their sins were paid for. So what we see here is the um, the atonement, the, the Old Testament saints, they put their trust in God that one day he was going to send that perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah, to pay their sin debt. And they put their confidence in that, and they did the Old Testament sacrifices in accordance to God's laws. And because of their obedience to the Scripture and their faith in God, just like we have faith in God that he sent Jesus, they had faith that God was going to send Jesus and their sins were covered. <coughs> Excuse me. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. 
you guys will probably get out of here right at 8 o'clock. If I can find my place. Uh-huh. I got one of these little onion leaf Bible pages, and I'm somewhere in the next few minutes I'll get there. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We find here that in verse 7, in Ephesians, that we have redemption. It says, In whom we have redemption. And then go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And we find that through his blood we're also justified. And then if you would go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10... We'll start in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now there, now wherefore remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. We find that the demands of God were met by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that he can be our advocate, and he, when we're accused by Satan, he makes intercession for us because the debt's already been paid. And it's on these grounds that God can forgive us and can wash away our sins. But the thing to realize in something like this is that if these all these promises are made to believers, if a person has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they have no advocate. They're still lost in their sins, and God's not their father. And one day, if they don't get that corrected, they're going to force God into the job that he doesn't want to do, and that's to be their judge. But the good news is... Back in our text, in 
in verse 2, and he is the propitiation or the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Anybody that will come to the realization of their lost condition and their need of Jesus Christ and will put their confidence in what he did for them on the cross, he'll save them. And from that moment on, he's not only their savior, but he's also their advocate. And the thing for us to realize that are saved, there's a little note here that I'd like to read. It's a man named Guy King wrote this. It said, the Bible never allows us to forget others. We who know the joyful news are under strict obligation to pass it on to other needy souls. Let the redeem of the Lord say so, Psalms 107, verse 2, is still in force. We need to just realize that as we've got an advocate with the Father, and when we mess up, we can confess our sins, get them took care of, keep the fellowship with God. But if we're truly in fellowship with our Heavenly Father, he's going to tell us to go forth to take the good news out and to share it with souls that need him. Christ died for the whole world, but how are they going to come to the saving knowledge of Christ if we don't tell them? Remember who told you, who it was, either your parents or whoever it was that took you under wing and brought you into church and you came to the saving knowledge. Those same souls that were faithful to pass down the good news have also passed down an obligation And that is that we need to take the good news to the next generation and to everyone around us. Anybody have any thoughts or comments before we close in a word of prayer? Anybody at all? I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a lot of fun uh, with your family and friends. and, uh, And then we look forward to seeing you back on Sunday. Brother Ethan, could I get you to close us in a word of prayer?